A lot of great stuff going on, a lot of fun stuff and exciting stuff. Hope you get involved and get connected in all that's taking place. All right. Well, I've got to finish up the second half of this sermon I started last week. And uh, so let's jump into this. Mind, let me just catch us up to where we are. We talked about the sermon topic that we started was saved, sanctified, and nothing to lose. So we got through the saved and sanctified last week, understanding that we use 2 Kings, the sixth chapter, as kind of our, our point to kind of bring that out, talking about what Elisha, who the prophet at that time was for the, for the Israel, and during that time, he was going through certain things, the, the country was, and it was to relate to them uh, different things that is going on in our spiritual life. Everything in the Old Testament is a picture of what is in reality in the New so we talked about being saved, and we talked about being sanctified. And so today, let's, let's jump into this. What do we mean, Pastor, when we talk about nothing to lose? Now, when I grew up, it was saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, that's still the same. It really means the same thing. But there is a mindset that comes with the Holy Ghost that I think many times, especially in the Pentecostal or in the charismatic world, we fail at because we just see it as something, we've got this emotional experience. We've got this emotional moment, and, and it is. It is an incredible moment of empowerment. It's an incredible moment of you feel just, just empowered beyond anything you ever have once the Holy Ghost is on you. You're able to do what you never thought possible. All of a sudden, people start bragging on you because of your testimony, or you're, you do some preaching or something. Like, man, you just, well, it, it, you start to operate in this spirit realm, and it becomes exciting. It is, it is powerful, but that's not the ultimate goal or the mindset that we're to have. Let me show you in the Bible as we jump into this. Go with me to Romans 14 and 8. Let me show you a few scriptures that Paul, who was full of the Holy Spirit, but this is how he saw his life. Let me show you a few scriptures that he uses. Romans 14 and 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we belong to or we are the who? The Lord's. There is something that comes along with this that, that is changed in us. I know we talk about a lot of revivals that take place, and we hear about revivals in other places and different things, and, and all that's wonderful. And man, I hope, I hope that everything goes exactly how God intends. There's only one thing I ever worry about when this takes place or anything of whether it's Pensacola years ago or anything that takes place. It's, it's this mindset. Is there in the forefront of this great move of God, is there an understanding that I'm laying down my life to God before I ever go into the emotional side of the journey? Because if I just go from the emotional side of the journey, then just like Pensacola all those years ago and people would travel down there, that's over. It's gone. Most of those preachers are in different places, pastor in different churches. Well, what happened? Nothing really happened. It was just built at that moment of emotion and built in that moment. But something that will last has to be first covenanted. It first has to be a committed mindset. And then whether it's Pastor Lot, who's, I've been here now 29 years. How does that happen? Well, they're emotional days. I was very emotional yesterday when we cleaned the shed. 
And I want to thank everybody who helped with that because I was about to cry. You know, I was like, this is awesome. It's one of the highest spiritual moments I've had in a while. But then there are moments where I walk into certain situations or moments of dealing with things and my emotions go right back down. I, how in the world do you do it? Because there is a commitment and a mindset. This is what Paul is talking about when he writes to them. He says, hey, guys, listen, whether we live or whether we die, whether we, whether we become great or whether we just struggle along, we belong to the Lord. That is the key concept of our lives. And if you can't say in every aspect of your life, I belong to the Lord. When I'm choosing friends, I belong to the Lord. When I choose where I'm going to hang out, I belong to the Lord. When I choose what I'm going to watch on TV, I belong to the Lord. What I allow people to bring into my life, I belong to the Lord. If it doesn't begin there, then nothing will sustain, nothing will last. Let me show it to you in other scriptures. Go with me to Galatians 20. And chapter 2 and verse 20, Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, that's how he describes his walk. I have been killed with Christ, crucified with him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you hear it? It is this commitment that begins everything else that Paul is talking about. And the problem with our modern church, the problem with our modern generation is that we don't crucify ourselves to anything. We just believe in it at the moment. And it it doesn't matter. I know a lot of times people right now are preaching on marriage and they're covering all that and they're talking about covenant versus contracts and all this. And it all boils down to the same thing. It's whether or not You can die to something. And when I look in the eyes of most people, I look in the eyes of most church people, I'll be honest with you, it scares me because what I don't see is people that are willing to die to something. Whether it turns out good or it turns out bad. Whether it works or doesn't work. It is the mindset that I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who am living. I tell you all the time, none of you ever met Tim Lott. Not one person in this room, maybe Elise, years and years ago, ever met Tim Lott. Tim was not a great guy. He was not someone you'd want to hang out with. But that guy died. It wasn't that I try to do better. I'm trying to do better. No. He died. Well, I'm trying to live for the... Don't try, just die. Dying so much easier. You don't get to vote anymore. You don't get to decide anymore. You don't get to choose anymore. Dead people don't vote. What do you think about this? I don't. What do you think about brother so-and-so? I don't. Why don't you have Facebook? Because I don't. Why don't you keep up with everybody? Because I don't. I died, and the only thing that's left is the Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, that's not just saying my spiritual life. He says the life that I live in the what? In my actual fleshly life, 
I live by faith in the Son of God. Every single day, I crucify my flesh. Look, we're not living that way. We're not going back to that. I'm living by faith who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me go one more place. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. Here's what it says. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? If you've been saved, sanctified, do you not know that the Spirit who lives in you is that of God? You are the temple now. You are the church. This is just a building. This is just a building that we gather in. That's all this is. If something breaks, we change it out. We fix it. If a chair breaks, we take it out. And fix. This is just a building. You, you're the temple. And if you'll hang around in this Christian community long enough, you'll find out in our modern Christian world, they think buildings are the church. They think a denomination is the church. Are you, are you, are you this denomination? Are you church of God? Are you this? Are you this? Are you Pentecostal? Are you this? In reality, you aren't any of those things. If you were to meet Jesus and tell him, well, I am a good church of God, he'd say, what does that mean to me? What the world do you think that means to me? The only thing that matters to me is, do you belong to me? Is this okay? There's nothing wrong with being, being Methodist, Baptist, you can be whatever. That's fine. If that's your group, that's your one you run with, that's not what I'm talking about. But you had better understand that at the core much deeper than any of those other little things you hang on your shingle. You better understand at the core, you belong to God. Therefore, if I walk into any church, any, any Bible-believing church, and I, that's my family. Those are my brothers, my sisters. Those are the people I hang out with. And Paul just says that. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Why is that so important, Brother Lot? Because if you don't have that mindset, you will never be able to do what I'm telling you. Look at the person beside you and say, you got nothing to lose. You've got nothing to lose. That, when people that I hang out with who, who have... Who have moved forward in their Christian walk or who have, as pastors, built buildings or, or, or grown churches or whatever else they've done, it, they all have the same mindset. They have this crazy mindset that I got nothing to lose. Everybody around them is like, oh, there's no way I could have done that. Oh, I don't see how you did that. And they just look at them like, I don't know what you're so afraid. I got nothing to lose. And those are the people I love hanging with because we look at each other like, I did this, and they're like, that's crazy. And I'm like, not as crazy as what you did. And we just laugh, and we look at each other, and we're like, this is cool. We could die any minute. We could go under, but it's okay. Why? Because we got nothing to lose. It's not our church. It's not our building. It's not our denomination. It's not our life. I was bought, purchased. I was sealed and delivered. And God says, now you belong to me. I'm, I'm taking care of you. And if you can't get that, then you may be saved, 
And you may be sanctified. You may be here this morning and you may be, man, I'm in church. I try to do. But you'll never know what it's like, the freedom of living with just nothing to lose. That sounds crazy, bro. That's just, that's a cra- It is. But don't we love to read about David running at Goliath with a stone? We preach that to our kids. Oh, man, that's so cool. Don't we like Daniel being lowered by a rope into a lion's den? Don't we like that? Don't, don't we like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before the mightiest king and saying, we're not bowing. You can throw us in that front, but we're not bowing. We like that. Unless it's us. Right? Because we got stuff to lose. I could die. Yeah, they, they didn't have a chance of dying. It's amazing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tells the king, whether we live or whether we die. They weren't given this like special mental uh, program that God says, you can say this because I got you. They just, they just said, no, look, whether we live or whether we belong to the Lord. And we're just not slow to answer you. We're not changing our allegiance. We're not changing who we belong to. We're not changing who we serve. We're not changing who we worship. Uh, Daniel would say, I'm not changing who I'm praying to. Paul would tell you, I'm not changing my message. You may beat me, you may kill me, you may do whatever, but I belong to the Lord and I'm gonna keep preaching this message. I'm gonna keep telling this story. I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing because I am not my own. Jesus does this to his disciples. They're, they're, they believe in the Lord. They, and Jesus is fixing to go and he says, listen guys, do not leave Jerusalem. You wait until you be endued with power. What is this power? What is this power? Well, usually if you just see what happens, it'll tell you. Here's beforehand, scared, hiding in a house, disciples. Some going back to their old businesses, going back to fishing, tired of this. This is crazy. And Jesus says, hold on. I know you believe in me. I know this, but go to Jerusalem and wait. What are we waiting for? For me to turn you into the temple. Right now, you keep going to the temple, but I want to turn you into the temple. And there's a mindset change will will take place too. So they go for 10 days. They're in the upper room for these days praying until the Bible says until they get in one accord and then the spirit of God falls on them as cloven tongues of fire on their shoulders they begin to pray and speak in other languages other tongues they begin they begin to get excited and, and you know what it's a great worship service and then they all say guys it was awesome let's go to the golden corral and get us something to eat now no. that was not the purpose When they were filled, they all left that room. They all were empowered now to do something. What? Their life was not their own. Peter, who denied him three times, even to a little girl, is standing now in front of over 3,000 people and boldly preaching. And the other 10 are standing up with him right beside him. What has changed? The empowerment gives them the understanding that we have nothing to lose. That's what Pentecost means. 
When you get fully full of Pentecost, it's not that you can have an upper room experience. You hear that all the time. We have an upper room. No, what we need to have is a down on the street experience. We got plenty of upper room experiences. We got tons of upper room experiences, don't we? We, 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 we watch some TV show or we we'll hear some preacher we like or put on our favorite radio or whatever. We've to pull the car over. We get to crying like, oh, God, it's so good. I can't wait. And then you go. The problem is, is that we don't take it below because once we come back to our mind, our senses, we realize we've got too much to lose. What was different about the disciples, what was different about all the people I talk about is that they didn't have nothing to lose. Let's go carry this gospel to the world. And they all died sharing as much of the gospel as they possibly could. Turning a world, as one writer says, upside down in the process. Not because of their upper room, but because what they could do on the street Let me see if I can show it. Abraham Lincoln said it this way. Failure is not a crime. I tell you, everything we do here is an experiment. Nothing, nothing is set in stone. We may start something. We may blow it up. It may work. It may not work. If it don't work, we'll try something different. That's, everything's an experiment. So when somebody, oh, that failed. Nothing failed. Failure is just part of life. I, I fail all the time. But the fact is, failure is not a crime. But listen to me. Abraham Lincoln said, failure is not a crime, but low aim is. I'll tell you what a crime is, is when you should be aiming for that, and you say, well, if I can just get here, I'll be happy. And that's what we do. Well, bro, I'm better than what I used to be, but you're nothing what you should be. Well, now that's a different subject. No, that's the same subject. You just got low aim. Failure is not the crime. From the time I've been here, I've taught you, taught my kids, taught, taught everybody, always aim for the what? The stars. Because most people, even if you don't reach it, most people never get to see what it's like at treetop level. Most people never get to see what it's like above the trees. Maybe I don't hit the stars But if I get a few hundred feet higher than everybody else, I got a view that most people will never have. Let me show it to you this way. Whether it's your clothes, your membership somewhere, the Bible brand you use, none of it is going to do it for you. None of that is going to take you over the top Yet there are some things that creates a sense of spiritual fear in us that we're going to lose. Let me share them with you. Write them down. Because you're going to have to overcome all these. Insurmountable odds. In your life this morning, you may be looking at a situation and you may think, these odds are insurmountable. Maybe you want to go to college and you want to be something, or you want to do something, and, and you look at it and like, well, I'm not smart enough and my grades are not good enough and it's that, I'm just going to quit. 
First thing you ever have to overcome if you're going to be somebody who has nothing to lose is you cannot listen to the results of insurmountable. I hate statistics. Let me just put it to you this way. Does anybody believe what the weatherman's going to tell you tomorrow? Why? He gives you a percentage every single time. Why don't you believe him? Because how much is he right? Not very often. So you finally, when you just hear that, you don't even listen to it. You just pull up your own radar like, well, I see it coming. Yeah, it it looks like. You don't listen to him. You don't listen to her. It's like they're just guessing. How do you know they're guessing? Because the Bible says nobody knows which way the wind blows. And what they're doing every night is they're saying, there's a 70% chance the wind's going to blow this away. No, you're guessing. And so when people tell you, a doctor tells you, these are insurmountable odds. When somebody in your family says, you're not going to make it. Nobody in our family's ever made it. You've got insurmountable odds. When somebody says, you know what, our marriages, marriages today, we're just not going to make it. It's insurmountable odds. The first thing when you've got nothing to lose is you don't listen to insurmountable odds. It doesn't mean anything. Opinions don't matter anymore. I know what I've made up my mind to do, and I've got to do it. Number two, overwhelming losses in your life. Maybe there's things that's happened in your life and what it's caused you to do is just decide that, you know what, I can't do it. I, I, I've, I've failed before. I, I've messed up before. I, I've, I'm, a, I'm just a mess up all the way around. Anything I touch breaks, everything. And I know what that's like. I used to hate to borrow things. I tell Elise, look, I'd rather just go buy it. Because in my mind was, if I borrowed your lawnmower, I'm gonna break it. That was just like a guarantee in my mind. If I borrow, if I borrow an anvil, I'm going to crack it. I don't know how I'm going to crack, but I'm going to crack it somehow. Some of you are like, what's an anvil? I, I know. That's, it, it, we'll talk about that later. But you're going to have to overcome in your life overwhelming losses that have tried to convince you that you can't make it. The third thing is you're going to have to overcome is the entrapment of your past. Because every time you start to do anything different, immediately, isn't it amazing? Nobody has to ask. Nobody has to. As soon as you start trying to do something, there's this voice that says, well, you know what happened last time. There's this voice that says, well, you know where you came from. There's this feeling of, because you're past things you did in your past, things you did yesterday, last week, last month. I'm just going to repeat it. Really? Is that already the way you're going to start your journey? I'm going to start this, but it's probably going to turn out just the way it always does. You're using your past to determine your future. And in the fear, just pure fear of failure. What if I fail? What if you do? What if you do? I mean, I know you'll get laughed at, but what if you fail? In every aspect of my life, the reason I've I've been able to go further and further, even the woman that I married, I mean, I I had no business 
even, even asking Elise out on a date. Just be honest. She comes from a totally different lifestyle than I did. I mean, half her house was bigger than my house. Her garage. Her dad was, was a successful business person. He, 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 had, he didn't have a car. He had multiple cars. And she'd just pick which one sometimes she wanted to drive. She was blessed. There's nothing wrong with that. Blessed. I remember driving by one time and, and, and watching her ride around on her three-wheeler or four-wheeler out in the yard, and she was just making loops out in the field and stuff, and I thought, man. And then, then the thought of, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask her out. Fear of failure. Fear of losing. It happens in every aspect of life. But if I had had that fear grip me and say, Tim, you know your past. Tim, you, you're going to be a preacher. You think she wants to hook up with a preacher? She's a college kid. She drives a 300Z, black. She has a great life. She's going to marry a lawyer, a doctor, somebody. She's going to be successful in life. You, you, now you're wanting to latch her on to you and drag her and put her in a parsonage? This is your plan for her? Good luck. See, there was nothing wrong with her. It was all me. I don't deserve. I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't. The only thing that it was different is I had trained myself through the years. Don't be afraid to fail. The worst you can do is laugh at you. It's like, no. And I done, I done cured that years ago. Me and my brothers and sisters, we done fixed that years ago with Windex and paper towels. That was already cured. That I, I was not going to phase me. My parents dropped us off to raise money to go to youth camp. You kids are very fortunate. You have youth camp every day out here. We would sell M&Ms and pins and, and anything we could on the street corners. Walking house to house, selling boxes of melting M&Ms to people. Would you please buy a box of our M&Ms because we need to go to camp. And, 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 and I guess we looked pitiful enough because they were like, yeah, 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 man, let me help you. <laughs> and I'm sure they thought, whose parents would drop kids off in the corner? These are not 12, 15 18-year-olds, these are seven-year-olds. These are, these are like, just start walking. Just knock on the doors. And one of the things they did was they gave us Windex and put us out in, back before Walmart. It was like, like some department store or some area. We had paper towels and Windex, and we would walk up to whoever got out of their car. It's like, could we wash your windows for a donation? Can you imagine that today? Some of you kids won't get a regular job. You're embarrassed. We were, we were, this is where we began. A regular job would be awesome at McDonald's or something, but we didn't have regular jobs. We just, we just had paper towels, walk up to somebody. It's like, could we wash your windows? We're trying to go to camp. Would you please? And somebody look at it. Don't touch my car. And I just turn around or Trent would turn around or somebody. We had this phrase. We look at each other. We just say, rejection, rejection. And we just go on to the next car. 
So I was built for it. I was made for it. There was nothing that Elise could do to me that was going to make me just give up on life. I wasn't going to go curl up in a corner. I was like, okay, come on, Tim, let's go. And I'm really glad that she decided to lower her standards just a little <laughs> and come hang out with me for a while. Why do you say all that, Brother Lot? Because you're going to have to overcome in your life insurmountable odds, overwhelming losses, entrapment of your past, fear of failure. That's stuff that's just everyday normal stuff that you've got to. That's why God puts the Holy Ghost in you, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. I've been empowered to overcome. I'm built to overcome. I am more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. Go with me to Philippians 3, 13 and 14. I've got to move. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, listen to this. I don't, I don't claim to have it all figured out. And if, if I ever stand up here and make you feel like, well, pastor, you know, he just don't. No, I'm, I'm, I'm walking this life, you know, me and Elise sometimes get in discussions. I don't always talk calmly. I have real family. I have real issues. I have, it's, it's life. But Paul says, here's the difference. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there. I'm still dealing with failures, still dealing with setbacks, still dealing with issues. I've got some of my own people that quit on me. He speaks about Demas who forsakes him. I mean, you imagine how he feels. Well, I'm a great discipler. The last guy I discipled quit. He's dealing with all of this. And he says, but listen, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. I reach forward to those things which are, he said, I set my aim upright. I set it up high. I'm not just saying, well, let's just see what happens. No, here's what I'm shooting for. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the difference. That's what being filled with the Spirit does to a person's life. So when I look at you and I say, I want every one of you baptized in the Holy Ghost. I want every one of you praying in tongues. I want every one of you filled to the other. It's not because I care about what you're going to do at some altar. I want to know what you can do Monday. And I want to let you know what you can do Tuesday. And I want to know when it gets really bad and discouraging what you'll do on a Wednesday. That's what I want to know. I want to know what you can do when nobody else can do it. And you can step up when everybody else quits. And people say, what's different about you? What's in me is greater than what I'm against me. What's in me is stronger than what's fighting against me. I can accomplish things that most people can't. Not because of me but because of what's in me in first corinthians 9 26 through 27 says this therefore i run thus not with uncertainty thus i fight not as one who beats against the air but i discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. He said, I don't worry about everybody else. I'm not focused on everybody else. I'm not worried about what you ate last night for supper. It takes everything I got to keep Tim Lott pointed and aimed 
It takes everything I got to deal with what God has brought today and to keep my aim up and not to just say, well, you know, this is, is this okay? I need to set this groundwork before we get into the story because the story symbolizes what I'm saying. So spiritual growth never comes without some form of sacrifice or suffering. Never does. To aim higher, to be better, to not just be average or below average, to not just be ordinary. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of energy. It takes some suffering. It takes people laughing at you. It takes, everybody likes the results. Everybody wants to be a Daniel and a David and a Shadrach, Meshach. Everybody wants to be a Paul. Everybody wants to be. But we want it for the emotional, not for the sacrificial. And thus, we never get to truly see it last. We see spurts of it. We see moments of it. But we don't see it sustained. Because this is the stuff life's made of. Let me explain it to you. If you don't know what life is full of right now, let me tell you. Hope and fear. You can write this down because you're going to have to deal with them. You're going to have hope. Man, I hope I get this. Man, I hope we can do this. And fear. Let me tell you something else you're going to have to deal with. Love. Oh, I love this. Man, I love it. And hate. <sighs> Nobody likes me. Nobody loves me. I tell my family that all the time. I just walk through the house. Nobody loves me. It's It's... It's a ploy to try to get one of them to say, we love you, Dad. Good. That's all I wanted to hear. It's just a cheap ploy to get somebody to say, but you're going to have to deal with love and hate. You got to hate some things. You got to love some things. Let me tell you what else you got to. Jubilation. Just, just, man, just happy moments. Playing games and having fun. And you're going to have to deal with frustration. We don't play board games anymore. You know why? Nobody likes losing. Be honest. Halfway through the game, when you know they're going to beat you, what do you do? Let's play something else. I'm, I'm tired of this. Let's do something else. Our family, I'd love to tell you that, man, I've raised my kid. No, my wife hated to lose. She hates losing. You don't think she's competitive, but she is uber competitive. She hates to lose. And playing me most of the time, she loses. She's just being honest. She gets mad at the card games we play. You, read, you, you know what I got. We play dominoes. You know what I got. I'm like, I don't know what you got. I might say, I know you got that double six. And if I see a certain expression on her face, I'm like, uh-huh, you do got it. <laughs> see, I didn't, it's not like I got this gift. It's just I'm playing the game. And in playing the game, finally it's like, no, nah, we're just through playing this. We're through. But you're going to have to learn to play the game. Because guess what? In, in, there's jubilation. There's times you win. 
And there's times you lose. My parents were excellent at this. Man, we would have to play life, this game of life, and man, that's or Monopoly or something. You just have to sit there and watch one of them get all the money, and 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 you're just selling your properties. Like, can I get five dollars for this one? Can I get? And and you're just like watching your life fade before your eyes. Let's quit. No, we're not quitting. My dad would would just boom the table. We're finishing the game. Fine. We don't do that anymore, do we? We hit reset on our little computer game. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and admit it. You start over. Reset. Would you like to start a new game? Absolutely. <laughs> well, the world is built for this because we don't like, we love jubilation, but we don't like frustration. We like faith. But we don't like anxiety. I have anxiety problems, Brother Lot. Who doesn't? Suck it up, Buttercup. I got anxiety. My doctor says I got anxiety. The doctor tells me I got all kind of stuff. Me and my doctor, we have wonderful conversations about all the stuff's wrong with me. And I just smile at him and say, it's going to be all right, Doc. And he just shakes his head, and I'm just like, it's going to be all right. I come back six months. I'm still here. Calm down. You're going to have to learn to live with faith, but also anxiety. You're going to have to live with joy, but also sometimes despair. This is life. It's life. Now go with me to 2 Kings, and we don't have time to read it all, but we'll be from verse 24 all the way to chapter 7, verse 20. And this is the third part of our story. We went through the other two parts, saved, sanctified, but he brings this next story in. And this is the story where Samaria now, because you would think in sanctification, man, we are good. Everything's one. They, in fact, this army that had, that had just been blinded and Elisha had led them in and, and, and we showed the illustration of sanctification and, and he told them to feed them and let them go. Well, you'd think, well, that's, we don't have to worry about them anymore. But the very next verse says that, oh, sometime later, Benadad, the king, mobilized and marched and besieged Samaria. Come on. We just let you guys go. You were blinded. We let you go. That should have ended it. No. But somebody rose up and said, no, no, we're, we're taking Samaria. We're going to fight this fight. We're not going to let it be the way it is. You're going to have to deal with joy and frustration. You're going to deal with despair. You're going to have to deal with all these different issues. But the question is, what's inside of you that can handle the moment that you're going through? Do you have a I don't have anything to lose mentality or do you have I have everything to lose mentality? So let's look at the, the people in this story to see where you fit. Now, I don't know where you fit in this story, but let's look where you fit. The king of Samaria, Jehoram, is, is, is a decent king. He's done a little bit of good, 
The Bible says that he took down Baal altars. He took down altars that worshiped other gods. And you would think, well, okay, he's doing a lot better. Ahaz, his, his grandfather was, was really a bad guy. And Ahab was, was, was really a bad guy. So we, we, we hear about them and, and we're like, okay, that's his, that's his heritage. So he did a little bit better, but he still wasn't a great king. He still had a ways to go. So he would be somebody that we would say is trying to do right, trying to do better, but not surrendered, not truly surrendered to God. We find this out because in the story, two women come to him and tell him a story of what's going on and we'll get to them. But when, when he hears the horror of the story, the Bible says he rents his clothes. He tears his clothes and he's standing there just wailing and, and oh, how bad it is and, and how, how and, and the Bible says that under his clothes, he has sackcloth already put on him. So he's someone who feels the pain. He's someone who, in, who is feeling what's going on. Anybody like this, you're someone who feels what's going on. Hey, I know it's getting bad. Hey, I know it's, it's, it's troublesome. Hey, I, I know the world's getting this way. Hey, I know my family needs a better mom or dad. Hey, I know I need to do better. Hey, I know this. But, but you've got all this stuff underneath, but you never let it come out in submission. You never let it come out in repentance. You're just always complaining about it. And, and if you know who that is, you can raise your hand and point them out to Because when you're around them, they can point out everything that's wrong in the world. They can tell you immediately, well, you know, it's, we live in a crazy place and we got a crazy president. We got a crazy Congress. We got a crazy this. We got a crazy world. We got a, and, and they can tell you all the issues and, and underneath they're feeling all the pain. The only problem is, is that they're not ever going to truly surrender. I meet people all the time. They can tell you everything going on, but they're not willing to lose it all. And we just need to start praying. Every, every, I tell you what, we'll just start gathering together and praying about it. When I brought a lot, I'm, a, I'm telling you, it's hard for me to meet every so-and-so because I'm busy. And I like the idea, but let's be honest, I'm not surrendering not completely to nothing. And I meet people in my church, out of my church. I meet people like this all the time. I'm in, but it's real easy if I ever wanted to get out. And that's Jehoram. He doesn't know what it's like to be lost in the spirit. He doesn't know what it's like to be Full. He doesn't know what it's like to be totally surrendered to God. He's always got something because Jehoram kept the altars that Jehoshaphat had set up. He still did offerings that he wasn't supposed to do. He still kept a little bit of something that he knew didn't belong. And in life, there's one group of people you're going to meet. There's going to be a people that's going to say, hey, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Well, why don't you do this? Look, now I'm doing all I know to do. I can't do no more. And if you were to ask the king, he would say, I'm doing everything I can do. How do you know that? Because when these two women look at him and ask him about this problem they have, you know what he does? He sarcastically looks at them and he says, What's, what do you want me to do? Do you think I got, I got vines? I got wheat fields all full of wheat we can go eat? What do you think? Do you think I got this wine cellar down, down in my, in my kid, uh, castle? Do you think I got a wine cellar? We all go in there and drink wine. He said, what do you want from me? I got nothing. 
Yeah, I know the problems, but I don't have an answer. And if I do have an answer, I'll tell you what my answer will eventually be, and I'll tell you how you know these people. Their answer will always be to blame someone else. So when I bump into people that want to talk about the president or talk about this or talk about that, I'm like, you're just looking for somebody to blame for your misery. Quit blaming others for the fact you ain't happy. It's my wife. No, it ain't your wife. It's you. It's my husband. It's just you. It's my kids. It's my parents. It's my job. It's just you. If you're fully dead, what's it, what's it matter? You don't look like anybody starving in here today. If you are, get with me. I'll, I'll buy you something at McDonald's. But really what it boils down to is you're going to complain about what is not right. You're not going to change. And eventually you've got to blame somebody. I can carry you to Walmart right now. People that, that are pushing their buggies down the aisles. And you ask them, why don't you go to church? Oh, I did. They hurt my feelings. I used to. Just a bunch of junk. All they want is your money. I said, Walmart does too. You going to give it to them today? I said, when you get to the front of the line and you say, look, I want these apples, but I don't want to pay for them. Just look at what they tell you. They're the popo right outside. Be more than happy to explain to you. Life ain't free. No, you're just looking for something to complain about, something to grumble about, and somebody to blame. That's the king. Then there's the two ladies. There's these two ladies that start our story off, and they try to tell us how bad it is in Samaria. It's so bad that it talks about how a donkey's head is sold for so many shekels. And, and, and basically seedlings, just, just they call it bird poop. But basically just, just a jar, just a small jar full of seedlings. It's like five shekels. Not hardly any nutrition or anything in it. It's just stuff that's just laying around. And these two ladies come up with an idea, and here's the idea. Hey, and, and we don't know whether the children have already died because the mothers are starving to death too. So they're probably not able to keep a child healthy or alive. We don't know if these babies are already dead or, or they're at the point of death or, or whatever it is. Where well, I'm not trying to get into the grossness of this, but it's just trying to show you how desperate they were. Maybe, maybe the babies were dead. Maybe, maybe one of them had already died. And, and one of them comes and says, look, let's boil your baby tonight and let's eat that baby. And tomorrow, when my baby is, is basically the same way, we'll boil that one and we'll eat that one so that we can stay alive. Let me tell you about this world that you live in. The world is a desperate place to try to keep itself alive. It is so desperate that it now will tell children, you need to have operations before kindergarten to, to change your sex or your gender. I know I'm messed up, but just to let you know we're all messed up, we're going to do this to children. We live in such a mess. We, we think that's so gross or so bad. Have you ever seen what goes on in our normal country? 
Do you see what happens? Do you see how we live? What we snort, what we drink, what we do, who we shoot, who we steal from every single day. Why? Because I am just trying to survive and whatever it takes to survive is what I'm willing to do. And some of you in this room, instead of surrendering, let's be honest, instead of surrendering and dying, you keep selling things you shouldn't sell. There's some of you in this room that keep selling your body for a little bit of happiness. Some of you in this room keep selling your mind things you're watching and things you're doing just to keep a little bit of happiness. There's things you're tolerating and things you're putting up with and things just to have a little bit of happiness. And it sounds horrible. We don't even want to talk about it. It's amazing the stuff we'll do, what we'll watch, what we'll engage in just to survive today. It's amazing what we will put up with. Now, you know, all got quiet on me. It's the world we live in. The world that gets frustrated. The world that's in despair. The world that feels hopeless. They don't have the other side. They don't have joy. They don't have peace. They don't have all the other stuff. They're struggling. Just trying to survive. And I preach to a world every week and I talk to people in the world every week that I see so many of this. And maybe you're in this room today. Listen to me. There's nothing you can do There's nothing you can do to save yourself from starving to death in this world. You will eventually run out of babies. You'll run out of stuff that you got to pawn on yourself. You'll run out of things that will be fun anymore. The envelope can't be pushed any further. Keep pushing. And you'll be disgusted even at your own self for the things you've done. So they boiled the one baby. The other lady wasn't quite ready, so she hid hers. And that's what she told the king. She said, we boiled my baby last night. This woman won't give us hers. She's hid the baby. Would you tell her to, to, to give us the baby where we can boil it? That's where the pressure comes from. Hey, I've already lost mine. You ready to lose yours? I'm already here. Aren't you ready to go there? Let me give you a secret. There's no person that will ever try to get you to drink who isn't already a drinker. Now, you just think about that for a while. There's no person that's ever going to ask you to do something that they aren't already themselves entrapped in.
Then there's a third. Let me hurry. There's these four blind men. <laughs> now, these guys are a mess. It's bad enough that you're, that you're in this situation in Samaria, but they aren't even allowed inside of Samaria. They are so an outcast. They are so a nobody that they won't even let them in the city. They are lepers. And these four lepers sit outside the wall listening to everybody on the inside dying and whining, and they can't go the other way because the army would kill them. But God puts us in places where we have nothing to lose. What the men didn't know was that God had already gave a word through Elisha. Through Elisha, the word, through our Bible, we have a word. Whether you've read it or not, there's a word over you. These four blind men didn't know this word. Or these four lepers didn't know the word, but there was a word already spoken over them. That's why many times somebody say, bro, Lord, I did this and this happened. And I'll just say, well, you know, that's what the Bible says. Really? Yeah. You just did something and God fulfilled his word. So these four lepers are sitting outside of Samaria. They're all starving to death, just like everybody else. And they look at each other and they decide, look, if we sit here, we're going to die. If we try to go in to the city, they're going to kill us. Because we're lepers and they're not going to let us in the city. If we go to the army, at least they might give us some food before they kill us. So guys, I'm telling you, we got nothing to lose. That's amazing how God uses this story to teach us this. It's a mindset, I got nothing to lose. And God always uses people who have nothing to lose to bring his miracles. Even when they're unwittingly, even when it ain't something they wanted to do, hey, I hate that you went through all you went through. I hate that your life has been what it's been. I hate you made the mistakes you made. But you can do like Paul and say, forgetting the things that which are behind me, forgetting what I did yesterday, forgetting what I did last week, forgetting what I did last month, I decided that from this moment on, I'm going to press toward the prize or the most high calling of God. That's what these guys do. They decide, look, we got nothing to lose. Let's just go to the army and maybe they will feed us. And these four lepers go marching, not knowing that God was using them. Because the Bible says that while they were going, at the time they were going, the armies heard noises. And this is just me. This is just me. This is the way I believe in the Spirit. I believe every step. Those four lepers made walking toward them. God thundered it. And it sounded like an army. Here we come. Here we come. We're going to probably die, but it's okay. As long as you give me a biscuit before you kill me. Anything. I'll take anything. But what they didn't know is while they were just walking to survive, 
God had a word over them. And God said, you're not going to get there and receive what you think you're going to receive. You're going to receive what I told you you're going to receive. You're going to receive what I already promised you would receive. And by the time those four guys get there, all of a sudden, the whole army had left everything they had, had left everything, all their food still sitting there. And the Bible says they go into one tent, they eat all the food up, and they go and bury the stuff in the, in the desert. So they're like, okay, if case goes bad, we got some stuff here. And they go to another tent and do it. By the second or third tent, they start looking at each other and feeling bad. It's like, you know, here we are all fat and full. And them people are starving in Samaria. Somebody needs to go tell them. And I don't have time, but they go back and tell the city of Samaria. And the word of God came true. That in a day, in less than 24 hours, what seemed impossible was possible. Let me give you three things real quick and I'm through. Three things about these lepers that I want you to grasp. And that you need to add to your life. Number one, it's not how sick you are. It's not how sick you are. It's not how messed up you are. It's not your past. It's not, listen to me very carefully. The only thing that matters is how hungry you are. I'll say this just very honestly with you. The only difference between me and maybe other people, the only difference between people you see that, that do things for God or you see, listen to me, it's very simple. Our hunger always overrides our sickness. I'm too hungry to die right here sick. Yeah, but you got issues and you got problems. Look at your past. Look, I know it. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy. But let me tell you something. I am too hungry to stop here. There's things we're praying for right now. We're, we're wanting to reach some, some tentacles and, and, and some things in the Morton area. Morton needs, needs God to move in a lot of ways. And, and I know there's healthy church. There's great churches over there. But there's the harvest over there also. And, and we're trying. So what do you do, Brother Lot? You just sit here and just, just no. I'm too hungry to stay here. Yeah, but you got it good. You don't even have to. I know, but I'm too hungry to sit here. Yeah, but you might fail. We might fail miserably. If you're going to do it, do it miserably. I always, if you don't do it, do it good. But then again, who knows as we're marching that way, what the enemy gets to hear. Maybe the enemy hears a thunderer, and the enemy hears all of a sudden an army. He doesn't, they don't hear a couple people. They hear thousands of people. And the enemy says, we done lost. And who knows the harvest that can come? Listen to me, whoever you are, you are not too sick. Your situation is not too bad. Your problem is not too big. As long as your hunger is bigger. Number two, it was not how many there were, but how united they were. 
I don't need a thousand. I just need two or three. I just need a couple that say I'm not crazy. I just need a couple that says I'll do it with you. I just need a couple. You say, bro, like, well, all seasons is, and, and can I tell you, it's usually not a 100% vote. Most of the stuff we get into, it ain't no 100%. Ain't everybody just sitting there like, oh, this is so awesome. There's some people like, this is crazy. Bro, like, I'm not sure I won't be able to hang out for this. I'm like, I'm sorry. We got to go. I don't need a bunch. I just need to be united with somebody. The Bible gives it to you this way. It says two touching anything. It gives it to you this way. If one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 2,000 to flight. No, two can put 10,000 to flight. All you need is somebody that will agree with you that you can make it. And number three, it's not how preposterous the method it's how powerful the God is. One of the craziest questions I always get as they come to play and you close it, close it down. The craziest question I get all the time is, how did you grow all seasons? And when I'm asked that question, I've tried thousands of ways to come up with just answers or ways to try to help somebody or try to give them some kind of, I know what they're looking for. I understand what they're looking for. Give me a nugget. Give me something. Give me, and I understand that. But I'm going to be honest with you. When you're doing things for God and with God, You'll just have to finally settle that what I'm doing usually sounds even to me ridiculous, preposterous. It, it sounds crazy. What did I get myself into? But in that moment when you're David running toward Goliath, when you're Daniel being lowered in with a rope, when you're Shadrach, Meshach walking toward the fiery furnace, it sounds preposterous. But those are the only moments, the only true moments that you get to see how big the God that you serve is. It is only at those moments when you get to say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. It's whoever I'm talking to today. I know it sounds preposterous. But a lot, you don't know my marriage. It's, it's, it's no way. I know the odds are against you. But a lot, you don't know my past, what I've done and where I've been. I know. Just need to dig a hole and cover yourself up with dirt. You don't know my family. and I know but you're part of a new family. I just know this, that God does not care how 
crazy it sounds. He likes that. He just gets a kick out of it. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of people. That's what he likes. I just know that if God speaks and says, go, do it, believe it, then don't underestimate the God who lives in you. It'll sound preposterous, but all things are possible with God. Will you stand? So if you're in this room today, there's people I need to pray for. And I don't want to be very mysterious about it or anything. I'm going to be very blunt. You're saved. Probably even sanctified and growing in that. And, and, and you're, you would say to me, Brother Lot, I love the Lord. I'm doing best I know how. But the person I'm talking to today would say, Pastor, I need the Holy Ghost more than I've ever needed Him before. I need, I need that greater that's in me power. I need that Peter going down and preaching power. I need that Paul, I've died to Christ's power. I need to be able to walk out of this room today and I need to be able to face my problem or my marriage or my situation and I need to be able to say, I got nothing to lose. God owns it all. God's got the plan. I'm just going to just show out for him. I'm just going to live this thing to its fullest. I'm going to believe for the greatest. I'm going to raise my aim. I believe our marriage not only will be great, but will help other marriages survive. I don't believe my kids are just going to make it, but I believe God's got destiny in them. I don't believe I'm just going to live, but I believe I'm going to prosper as I live. Raising my aim. Pastor, to do that, I need more of God in me. I can't do it. That's okay. That's what he told the disciples. You wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. Not your power, his power. To do what you can't do on your own. If you're in this room today, I'm going to pray this as a dismissal, but also for those to come. If that's you this morning, and this is where you need to be, we need to pray that God baptizes you in the power of the Holy Ghost. Brother, like you still believe in that? I'm living that. I live it every day of my life. But I don't live it maybe for what some people live it for, just some. I live it because I got a Monday coming. And I got a Tuesday coming. And I got in-laws and outlaws. And I got problems around my corners. And I need more than I got right now. If that's you, if that's you, then you know it. You need to come. When I pray this prayer, for you who got to run to Sunday school, tell them I'm sorry I kept you. The rest of you I'll see you in just a second. Father, thank you. 
Thank you that in the name of Jesus right now, you have given us a gift. You have given us a gift called the Holy Spirit. He is our comforter, our guide. He is our paraclete, the one that walks with us. He is not a stationary, but he is active, moving inside of us to lead us to our destinies, to make us more like Christ. And Father, we call on him today. We call on you, Jesus, to baptize us in your Holy Spirit, to empower us for the victories that you have in front of us. We choose today to not just be saved, not just to be sanctified, but we choose today to live the rest of our life with nothing to lose. Nothing to lose and everything to gain. In Jesus' name.